Welcome to Well Examined, the podcast where science and discovery meet intuition and wellness with your host, Christine Dynes. Each episode, I'll chat with the best minds in integrative epigenetic health, biohacking, neuroscience, quantum healing, and lifestyle design, as well as a slew of reputable citizen scientists across all facets of wellness. Welcome, friends. Today, we're joined by two sisters, biohackers affectionately known as the Biohacker Babes. We have the lovely Renee Bells, holistic nutrition and lifestyle coach, and Lauren Sambatero, personal trainer and holistic health coach. Both became biohackers to take health into their own hands, and along the way, created an incredible podcast together featuring all tenets of biohacking, from nature hacking to neurohacking, and as they'll discuss today, so much more. We're going to go down that road in a few minutes. These ladies have definitely gone above and beyond and then some to upgrade their own biology. And what I love about the biohacker babes is that they're completely rooted in science. They've dedicated themselves to all the research of truly optimizing human health, and they transparently share their own experiences and insights with their audience as they learn and transform their own lives. Um, you know, to me, this makes their podcast a real tangible tool for all of you listeners and even myself as I'm in my own biohacking journey with my family um, and myself here. So they're a real community of biohackers. So let's welcome these ladies. Hey, Renee. Hey, Lauren. Hi, Christine. Hi. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for being with us today. I'm really pumped to have you ladies share your story and when I was inviting you on, I was telling you a little bit about this concept of Ikigai. And our listeners know it as the Japanese's uh, version of expressing and living their purpose. It's, you know, what the French call their raison d'etre. And I just, I just love it because the Japanese are always, um, you know, trying to live up to this and through this. So let's jump in. And let's kick off by telling our listeners, what's your ikigai? Maybe you both want to take your own um, opportunity to share. Who wants to go first? Tell yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll jump in. I have to say, I love that you even asked this question. Um, as a Keon coach, I trained with Ben Greenfield, and this was one of the first things we talked about, oh, like, what is your ikigai? But a lot of people don't know what that is. So I, <laughs> I just thought that was a really cool thing that you asked that. So I think for me, a big you know, passion and motivator of being in the biohacking space is to help other women like myself to prevent them from going through the health struggles I went through or to help them overcome them quicker. You know, I, it's fortunate and unfortunate. I think all the things my body's been through, you know, I had an eating disorder, I had adrenal dysfunction, heavy metal toxicity, Epstein-Barr. And it's like, well, why did I have to go through all that? right? There has to be a reason for all that, all those years of suffering, right? So yeah. I'm hoping that I can use that and all the education I got through dealing with all that over the years to help other women. And that's really where the biohacking piece comes in, you know, taking charge of your own health and, and figuring out what you need to do next. That's, so that's kind of mine. Yeah. That's really cool, Renee. I didn't know that you were familiar with that term. It's completely new to me. And I, I had a fun time kind of exploring that word and just having the conversation with myself, because I don't think that this comes naturally. I don't think that we're born with this idea in our head of what our purpose and our passion is. I think it comes over time. And I know I spent my twenties just doing, it felt like I was waking up in the morning with the purpose of doing, and there wasn't a lot behind that. And now in my thirties, it feels like my purpose is being more. And I think that's sort of like a natural evolution. I think most people, most humans, most adults go through that. They, they wake up, they're just trying to figure it out. We're doing, doing, doing. And at some point the dust kind of settles. And with my journey into the health and fitness world, I kind of crashed and burned. Like I had my own experience similar to Renee. Like I had adrenal burn out. I was sucked into like the trendy fitness space of New York where it was just like more is better, more is sexier. Yeah. But it's too much. And I, I realized at some point I didn't even know why I was doing it. And so that led me down this path to realize that my mission is to one, <laughs> learn. I'm a learner. Um, 
I love that book, Strengths Finder. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that was a big aha moment for me, realizing that I am a learner, that I'm very motivated by learning. And then what comes with that is wanting to educate and empower others. So I like to learn and then I like to pass that information on. And that is knowledge from a book and research, but also my own anecdotal experience and being able to share that with other people. And then that's the biohacking component, right? Like getting to know self, experimenting, and then passing on that wisdom and those lessons to other people. And I'm, I, I think I really wake up in the morning wanting to help other people. I love that you made that distinction about you. Um, you know, you probably already knew intuitively, but you read that book and it affirmed for you that you're a learner and then you kind of decode what you learn and then teach it to others through your own experience. And, you know, by sharing through your own experience, you're obviously inspiring others in that way. And I love that that's the essence of Ikigai. Were you, were you both feeling that way when you were kind of, well, you know, you said you were learning about that when you're doing Kion coaching with Ben and then, you know, you're saying you're Lauren, you're just saying you're learning about it. I just feel like, um, you know, the Western world is so linear, right? The life path is a linear trajectory and, yes. you know, you know, the Japanese obviously hold themselves to an exceptionally high standard, but this idea of self-awareness, self-reflection and allowing themselves the grace to um, like continually evaluate that. And I feel like biohacking just is biohacking and ikigai, right? They just go together continuously in my mind. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And actually interesting, Lauren and I growing up with our mom and dad, we got into martial arts and we did a Japanese form of martial arts called ninjutsu. Um, and so I think we kind of grew up with a little bit of that mental awareness. That's so cool. Just in that culture. It was probably deep in my subconscious. I don't know that I could have <laughs> spoken about it or explained it to anyone, but I think it was an intuitive pattern that developed over time. So this is a perfect time then to talk about mindset. So in my experience, in my personal life, in my professional and private practice, the way I interpret, you know, mindset, mindset shifts are the first step to becoming consistent with tangible physical upgrades. In my private practice, I begin with my clients at the belief level. And I'm sure you two are familiar with Bruce Lipton. We always start at that biology of belief so that clients have this foundation to upgrade from right from the start. So by looking at beliefs and framing it through the biology of belief, clients quickly learn that mindset is a physiological epigenetic manifestation. So from here, I feel like my clients can really get into the nuances of their genetics and so on. From your perspective and the experience that you two share and on your own, uh, you know, when did you have an aha moment about mindset or maybe thinking about it, how did you learn to biohack mindset? What tangible thoughts do you want to share with listeners about creating mindset shifts? And I guess taking it even further, um, you know, thinking about growth mindset, how does, how do you interpret all of that? Biohacking mindset. It's such a loaded, you know, thing. It is. Where do we even begin? It's so complex and it's so circular and so intertwined. Like I can enter so many different points. (laughs) Um, I mean, to me, biohacking is really just an exploration of self. And I don't think you can effectively use any biohacking tools as we know them or what people generally think of as biohacking, which is like technology, different types of equipment, but even just practices like being in an infrared sauna or taking a cold shower. I don't think that you can effectively use those if you don't go through your mindset and your thoughts first. If you haven't properly explored and spent time inside of your brain and your mind, that stuff isn't going to sink in. Intention really is everything. I think we have to slow down and give our brains an opportunity to understand what's happening. And we see this in so many areas of our life. Like We know that if we don't give time for our bodies to take in food, properly digest, have the digestive enzymes, let your brain know food is coming, you're going to have metabolic and digestive issues, right? (laughs) And then like in the exercise world, like I see people at the gym that are on spin bikes and that's their TV time. That's like when they're catching up on their news. And we know that the brain 
can focus on more than one task at a time. Like I think a lot of people will say, oh yeah, I can multitask or maybe I'm not so good at multitasking, but most people do it at some point or another. Mm -hmm. And it's been proven that we can focus on two different things at one time, but what happens is the brain separates like left from the right side. And so you get less energy being focused on to one activity because it's split 50%. And then beyond that, like, I don't, I don't think you can actually effectively focus on three things. I think that's part of the study. But so my thought about that is if you're splitting your energy, there's going to be a cost in performance. And I'm not just talking about like getting the most out of your workouts, but that is a very tangible thing. Like if you are focused on your TV, your brain is not receiving the work that you're doing. Like you need your brain to tell your muscles to contract. You need your brain to tell your body to move. And so if your brain is distracted, you're not getting 100% of the work and we need the work for growth. So that could be the growth mindset, just being fully present in that intention. But I mean, it really just diverts into so many different paths, but I don't think you can make progress and you also can't really believe in yourself if you're not present, right? Yeah. Wouldn't you say that, um, you know, to develop a growth mindset is flexing on the idea of, oh, actually to develop a growth mindset, I have to slow down first <laughs> and sort of uh, prioritize and recalibrate. Yeah. People don't like to yeah. slow down though. We're all looking for the easy path, the fix. And so that prevents us from slowing down, but your brain really likes and appreciates slowing down. It appreciates that pace. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think so as a parent and someone who has all sorts of different things going on business and personal. Uh, I know that I would tend toward adrenal or HPA access burnout if I didn't slow down. How do you think, yeah. of, Renee, what's it like for you when you think about starting at the mindset piece. Yeah. So I always like to share this story when I was just getting into the health space about, I guess maybe like 10 years ago, I was at a training and I thought I was there to learn about nutrition. <laughs> and the doctor was saying, the first question you have to ask your clients is when did you decide to get sick? Wow. I was like, Oh, that's a rough, that's a rough way to start. Yep. But he just fully believed that mindset is is everything. And if you can tap into that with your client or patient, you're just gonna have so much more success with them. So really the mindset, you know, when did you decide to get sick? And and then also looking at well, who's supporting you and um what the the mental piece really is before you can start making changes. Because maybe, you know, the idea of when did you decide to get sick? So maybe someone is working a job they hate, they're not happy in their marriage, uh, they're running around 24-7, they maybe subconsciously just want a break. And that was what, you know, kind of caused them to get sick. Their body was asking for a break, so now you're sick, now you have to take the break. Um, so I think it's interesting just looking at the mindset and the subconscious piece. And then I love that you brought up Bruce Lipton. Actually, our dad, I think, gosh, he was probably giving us Bruce Lipton books back in like high school. So anyone that's not familiar with his work, I highly recommend reading his work and following him. Um, it's just powerful, powerful stuff. Yeah. What you said there, you know, you were kind of stopped in your tracks when the speaker asked you, when did you decide? And I love that because it's so empowering. He's saying self-responsibility, choice, discernment, and using powerful language, you just automatically get to make the decision right then and there, you know, am I going to be enabled or am I going to expand? You know, you just these upgrades that happen in that moment. It's so incredible. Yeah. You have to be ready to make the changes. And unfortunately as a practitioner, I mean, you guys know you can't really work with someone that's not mentally ready to make the changes. It's not easy to do and you have to be ready for the work. Well, I'm sure in you know your work, both of you experience where you're so excited for the new client, and you know they tell you what their goals are, maybe first time. And I don't know, but I assume you you know since you started and now you've refined how you do what you do in your process. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, 
eventually I had to set this rule for myself where I would say, you know, my anchor was, I can't want it more than they do. And, you know, we want the world for our clients. We want them to be able to crush their goals and move beyond and all that. Um, but I realized that if I didn't start at the belief level, it, you know, they weren't going to, they weren't going to get to go where they wanted to go by working with me at least. <laughs> so yeah, right. have you, have you noticed by starting with mindset that it's really shifted just the way that the two of you work with, you know, your clients today? I've seen a lot of that more with my personal training clients than probably health coaching, where just shifting the words that people use can have a profound effect. Like we don't realize that words fly out of our mouths and then our brain hears them and, and re-receives them. Yes. We really like sink in and inform our tissues and people don't even realize how negative that they are, are acting towards their own bodies and their own um, efforts. So just simple things like eliminating the words should and never, we use them. It's on autopilot. It's so automatic. Just let that word come out because it's habit. Like we create experiences and receive experiences over time. And so that informs how we think things are going to go. And then it's very natural for us to say, oh, well, I would never do that or I should do that. And you create this self-limiting belief and you kind of like narrow the walls around your own opportunity. So sometimes just changing the words alone has a profound effect. I find it a little harder with health coaching. I I just think it takes a little more time. I'm not really sure that connection, but I've seen a faster shift with the physical training and words for some reason. I would would add a word to your list that can't I see that more with nutrition. Yeah. So I always like focusing on adding new foods in for people before you take foods away. Oh, I'm totally about that too. Yeah. Yeah. So week one, I'm like, let's just eat two cups of vegetables a day and focus on, I get to eat vegetables every day. I get to fuel my body with these nutrients every day versus I can't have bread. I can't have soda, can't have sugar. Cause then what do they want? All of those things that you said you can't have. So I like, you know, if I can eliminate the can't word and then just overall focusing on all the amazing things they get to do. And that can be applied in every part of your life, right? Yeah. The can't, it really, it makes the room close in on you. It's compressive. Like you feel your energy just diminish, diminish, even just saying it, like I'm feeling it in my body. It's like I lose life force and oxygen in that way. When I say the opposite, I can, or maybe, or what if it's like my body really expands and then like, who knows what can come of that? Well, you keyed in on something a couple of minutes ago, Lauren, you said, um, the language can affect us down at the tissue level. And we haven't mentioned it, but you get, you girls can mention, you ladies can mention uh, who your dad is and what he does, because I keep hearing the two of you using terms related to bioregulatory, biological medicine. (laughs) And that tenet of, uh, you know, some people will be listening and they'll hear you say, oh, you know, it can affect us at the tissue level. And they'll just keep listening. But for the three of us, we know Mm -hmm. that that is (laughs) from a biological medical perspective, where if you can access the tissue level, that's how people have these spontaneous healing experiences. And if we can access information at the tissue level, you know, people heal and mindset is everything because our language just goes right down in there. And then all these things can manifest physiologically. Do you want, do you want to just jump in and say really quick, uh, anything about your dad? And, you know, because you oh. talked about earlier, yeah. um, you're like, oh, we grew up doing Japanese, um, you know, martial arts. And our dad gave us um, Bruce Lipton's book. Right. Yeah. Tell everybody. Well, we, 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 we call our dad the original biohacker just because we've learned so much over the years from him. I think he's been biohacking since, I don't know, like the 80s. We just, no one called it biohacking back then, but he's been looking for the best ways to upgrade his biology since then. So um, he's also a biological dentist. So Dr. Gene Sambatero, if anyone wants to look him up and follow him. So he became a biological dentist, um, also called a holistic dentist back in the 80s when he learned about the dangers of mercury fillings. Very long journey, but um, 
he's built an amazing practice in, on the East Coast in Maryland, and we've learned so much from him over the years, and it's a never-ending journey of learning. <laughs> yeah, and mindset has always been huge for him, not just Bruce Lipton's work, but he, he was always, always sharing mindset techniques and trying to upgrade his language and use, I mean, even just using positivity, funneling your <laughs> efforts through a more positive lens can have such profound effects. Yeah. I mean, things like affirmations, emotional freedom technique, you know, we were doing tapping back in probably high school and people were like, what in the world is that? Hopefully EFT is becoming more popular now. It definitely is. I love EFT. Yeah. And he's been very into energy medicine and I'm really hoping energy medicine, I think becomes more popular in the next decade because that's like you said, it's getting down to the tissue level, the cellular level. And something interesting about voice, I don't know if you're familiar with the technology Evox, but I'm this not. is something um, I learned with uh, training from my dad, but it's a technology where you're actually just talking into a microphone and it's recording your voice and it's able to pull out what emotion you're feeling. And you can literally just be like, I went outside and took my dog for a walk and it was sunny. Like you can just be talking about random things and the technology can pick up the emotions in your voice. And that was my first insight into, wow, how powerful is our self-talk if you look at it that way? That's so incredible. I love it. But sometimes it's even beyond our control. And I think maybe this is the piece uh, that links like why the physical activity has a little more success with using positive words because we're actually like moving our energy physically because that trauma can get stored in our tissues. And unless we're tapping into this energy medicine or using those techniques to release it, sometimes just changing our words isn't enough. And I think that is part of the self-limiting belief. Like there's stuff even beyond our, our conscious thoughts and feelings. So we can say, I can't, okay, we'll change it to, I can. But if there is a lot of trauma stored in the body, it takes a lot of work to get down there. (laughs) And so health coaching is sort of the, the first level, but I think I do hope, like Renee said, that we're moving towards um, a culture that will be more accepting of energy medicine because that is, it's so powerful. Uh, in addition to the Evox, um, I use a tool called the Amp Coil. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Okay, I love Amp Coil. Yeah. So they do like neurofeedback and it's a Tesla energy coil that's reading the vibrations in your voice. And they're using these protocols that can actually detect viruses. Can I say that on air? <laughs> yeah. It can detect a lot of things in, in the tissues and then we're just healing through vibrations. Really, really, really awesome. Yeah. I love all the uh, folks who, when amp coil came out, they would set up amp coil lounges, people who are, you know, recovering from limes and limes related uh, health concerns and amp coil has gotten so big now. I love it. It's so yeah. much more accessible and affordable for people. Yes. <laughs> I, what I'm finding uh, through discussion and just the way I see people keying into certain concepts, um, you know, Renee, to your point, you're hoping that energy medicine, you know, becomes more ubiquitous and pervasive. I think that one of the ways in is, okay, the way we discuss biohacking, for a lot of people, they need to see something measurable. And I think, you know, quantum and theoretical physics, of course, will help people understand when they can say, oh, you know, saturating my cells with oxygen, what does that really mean? And they can look at their electrons, right? If they can get to that level, then they can stretch their brain to go even more nano. So, you know, we're, the three of us are saying, oh, energy medicine, we know what that means. (laughs) But for so many people, they have to be able to, you know, see the mathematical equation, if you will. Um, and I, I feel like biohacking concepts and biohacking technologies are sort of the bridge for a lot of people that are more science minded. Yeah. Energy medicine is science minded, but I think it doesn't making sense what I'm saying. Yeah. I think the, yeah. the quantification piece yeah, is the gateway into that. And for so long, we didn't have a way to quantify energy. It was like, you feel it or you don't. And now there's all of these pieces of equipment and technology that are able to quantify the energy in, in your sphere and your, your space and using the neurofeedback and measuring vibrations. Like we can map that out and, and make a visual for people to see it. 
So a lot of us trust it, but it, but yes, I've seen that quite frequently where people need proof. They need the numbers. They need the quantification to believe that it's going to actually do something. So we're going down that path pretty quickly with the quantification and being able to just express that in a different way. I think that yeah. there's a lot of um, living, living proof, you know, for people who, um, you know, they, they could read, read, read all day about the science, but, you know, they want to see people living these lifestyles. So I wanted to ask you ladies about, um, so I, so for everybody out there, I listened to a recent episode that the biohacker babes did, and it was about free biohacks during quarantine. And I loved it because it just is all about what nature confers. And so, you know, in my mind, I took it as if we learn to commune more closely and regularly with nature, she continues to provide. And summer's a great time to get out for people to teach these tips because I think that, um, you know, so many of us still have this idea that biohacking is this futuristic trend and it's all <laughs> about fancy technology. So while, you know, that's cool, um, I'm into all of that. I think that timeless biohacks are the ones that nature invites us to explore. So will you two, I don't know, will you kind of expand on a little bit what you were talking about during that podcast? insofar as nature's free biohacks. I love that you call them classic biohacks. Like that almost makes me want to just call them like vintage biohacks. It's the biohacks that have been around forever. <laughs> Cause yeah, there is a lot of cool tech out there and we can explain like how and why we use them, but we're both huge, huge advocates for free stuff. And I know you're, you're burning to talk Renee. So let me jump in. <laughs> Oh, did I have that face? I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I, that was probably just my brain spinning. But no, I love the yeah, I love the classic biohacks too. I always like looking at ancestral health. You know, what have our ancestors done? But you know, what did they do before they had the aura ring and the Apollo band? You know, all the fancy <laughs> tech. And number one, they were in nature all the time. I mean, twenty four seven. They woke up with the sun. They went to bed after sunset. They ate their local food. They exercised just by being alive, just by building their house and catching their food for the day, right? They didn't go to gyms and kill themselves through high intensity interval training. Um, and I think unfortunately, like we're saying, we've gotten removed from that. And I would love for everyone to just be more in tune with that nature. So no matter where you live, New York City, San Diego, Las Vegas, right? Just finding a way to get into that nature because right, we get these amazing negative ions whether you know you're grounding yourself in the sand or the water or the mud and the dirt and the mountains wherever you are these negative ions are just feeding kind of want to say they're feeding our soul but they're really feeding our cells so always looking back at ancestral health is such an important piece for me no matter what you're doing um yeah nature it's free like we said if you want to quantify it, yes, you can look at your aura ring and see what your heart rate variability does after you ground it for an hour. Of course, if you want to see the data there, you can. But for people that feel like biohacking is too scary and too expensive to jump into, just go for a walk in the sunshine. That's biohacking, right? You're getting exercise. You're getting vitamin D. You're supporting circadian rhythm. You're supporting your cortisol for the day. You're getting fresh air. You How amazing is that? I think we both feel really passionate about dispelling this myth that you have to have money to have health. Like people see this correlation between socioeconomic status and being able to take care of yourself. And it's just not true. Yes, there are levels that are always going to, going to be upgrades that are a little bit more pricey. I think we are going in a direction where everything's going to become more accessible. We're already seeing that with this influx of at-home lab tests that you can do just to gather more information or these like self-quantification tools like the Aura Ring, stuff like that. But we want everyone to be able to take responsibility for their health and access this stuff. And it really is available to everyone. Like there is so much power that we can gain from being in the sunshine, looking directly into the sunshine, getting direct sunshine on our skin we know that that increases vitamin D, which is a steroid hormone. We need that. We can get it from a bottle that's just not going to be as good as the real thing. And it's free. It's so free and easy. And so we want everyone to feel like they can do that. There's no reason why we can't do that. It doesn't have to be expensive. 
and it doesn't have to take a lot of time. So that's why we're both into stacking our hacks, like just get it all done because that's another complaint. People are like, I don't have time. We just don't have time. Well, you could do five things at once. Actually, this is like the one multitasking thing I would encourage. Like you can be out in the sunshine, get your vitamin D. You can do some breath work. You can get some movement in so you can get some circulation and mobility. Like there's a lot of healthful things that you can do all at once that your brain actually will recognize all at once. And uh, it's really powerful. There's no excuses there, honestly. Yeah. No, there really aren't any excuses. Everything you just talked about, it all just mutually enhances, you know, it's mutual enhancement instead of multitasking is the way I like yes. to look at it. I, guess I like that, that word. That's yeah. great. <laughs> so Renee, you're talking about, um, and you know, to looking at your ancestral history and in the same episode about the free biohacks, you ladies were talking about Sardinia blue zone, which I love. My family's from Sicily, so we're not too far away. And oh yeah. All my listeners love blue zones. Everybody knows about it. So how would you say that the blue zones are queuing the rest of the world? Or how can we take a cue from the blue zones? Because that's free biohacking 101, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. The blue zone regions, they, maybe they're the original biohackers. I mean, I know, they've right? been doing it right. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Actually our, our dad's side of the family is from Sicily too. Oh, what part? Um, oh gosh. Palermo? I don't know. Is it Palermo? We always say Palermo, but that's sort of, that is that the capital? I'm not yeah. sure if that's exact. So I've just yeah. always said Palermo. Oh, that's so cool. My family is from uh, a little area just outside of Palermo, in between Palermo and this resort town. It's called Chefalu uh, is the resort town, but they're from a little place called Happy Camp. I love it. <laughs> that's, oh, that's incredible. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he knows, has heard of it. Very cool. Yeah, we'll have to ask our dad about that. That's so yeah, cool. Sure. Um, yeah, I love looking at the blue zones. I mean, it's a lot of what I just said. I mean, most of the people in the blue zones, their exercise is walking. They walk every day. They eat real food that comes local from their area. They do eat a lot of plants. I am a big fan of a plant-based diet that is not vegan, vegetarian. Plant-based just meaning 50% of your diet's coming from plants, and we see that in the blue zones. I think it's interesting also that we see in blue zone regions, they do drink alcohol. That's yeah. kind of interesting, but they have less stress. They have a community. I think community is so important and that's something that people are lacking even more so now with the shutdown. I mean, I think before the shutdown, we were lacking community just because people felt like, oh, I'm connected to that person on Facebook. That's not true. That's not a true connection. Yeah. And now that we're shut down and locked in our homes, I think we're lacking that even more. But that community also builds a sense of purpose. So like we started off with your Ikigai, everyone in the blue zone, they all have a purpose a reason to wake up in the morning, a reason to get going. Um, I think all of those things are so important. Yeah, I, I would love to live in a blue zone. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Right? I'm I, trying to create my own blue zone wherever <laughs> I go. <laughs> yeah, I love it. New York City could definitely use a pocket blue zone for sure. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on that. I see the big difference in that their health habits in the blue zones are really instinctual. They don't have this checklist of health practices. They're not like, I have to eat this plant-based food. I have to do this today. Like they, that is their environment. So it's less about their daily choices and behavior rather than like just the instinctual environment that they are in. And we are in a culture where environment naturally is more indoors and automated and based on technology. We thrive off of working through technology. So we have to change our behaviors to get away from that. And that's just the environment that we live in where they've never had that. So instinctually, they're just already surrounded by that. So less decision-making, which is stressful and can overtax the body and energy systems, adrenals, HPA access. Like I think it's just inherently easier because that is so ingrained every day. Yeah. Well, like you said, even, um, I'm thinking like walking versus driving right in America where we have to consciously go for a walk. Well, maybe in New York city, you walk a lot more, but I could easily just never walk because I could drive everywhere where I live. Right. Exactly. But I remember they interviewed, um, I think it was one of the blue zones. I think it was in Asia, but they interviewed this man. He was 105 
And he was like, I've never been in a car. I walk and bike. I have walked and biked everywhere my entire life. Never been in a car. But that just, that works for him because of where he lives. Yeah, that's so cool. I think the community aspect is so important. You're talking about um, in Asia, in Japan, another cool concept you probably, you know, are already aware of, they call it Moai. And it's kind of an, in my mind, it's kind of an extension of Ikigai. It's where, you know, you've got these close friends that you've bonded with, like family, that you can look to for support. And, you know, in America, for example, what do we loathe doing? A, admitting a vulnerability, and B, <laughs> asking about borrowing money, right? We have this fractured, well, we have a very fractured sense of finances anyway, but that's a whole nother discussion. But in yeah. Japan, they, you know, through these communities, these moais, it's just inherently part of it. You know, like what's going on right now, they're supporting one another and their businesses. No questions asked. And there isn't shame. There's no guilt. Uh, it's just the way they do it. You know, they've got this community. So um, the way that we all live in millions and millions of separate houses here in the United States has always baffled me and why people don't live you know, with extended family communally. Yeah. When I lived in Maryland, actually my neighbors, they had uh, three generations living there. They were from India originally, but it was, that was the way it was done. Three generations. And I think a really interesting thing about community in the U S is like, look at a woman that just gave birth. It is so hard. I mean, no wonder these women are dealing with depression and anxiety and all these issues because they're trying to do it on their own versus in other parts of the world, they have this community where, I mean, as a mom, you almost get to sleep for a couple of days because you have three <laughs> generations all taking care of the baby and taking care of you and supporting and cooking and cleaning and helping. You know, why did we get away from that here? It's kind of okay. sad. I know now we have to hire doulas, you know, someone who isn't even part of our family right. to, you have to pay someone. Yeah. There's Which actually, is funny because the money, then you, the, I love that you brought up like the shame and the guilt. And there is, there's this shame about money exchange and it would be so much easier to just have a community. But now moms are like, oh, I don't have money for that. Or if I am going to hire someone, like I have to calculate my finances and it creates more stress. Yeah. Another justification. Yeah. Luckily, uh, there's a huge movement. This is a, just a side note, but there's a huge movement that has kind of been influenced from these other parts of the world. And it's just simplified called mothering the mother, the mother, the mother movement. And it's similar to taking pieces from, you know, blue zones and incorporating that community and taking the shame and the guilt out of it. So I guess I would call that life hacking and therefore biohacking. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. yeah, just this concept of we complicate things. We could simplify and we could walk out into nature and we could save so much money and upgrade our health just by looking up at the sun kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know why we don't like simplicity. We like to make things harder for ourselves. And I don't know if that's just like an American mentality. We're searching for distractions, I think but we're just trying to move towards more independence. Cause I, I guess that's synonymous with freedom when we really do rely on the help of other people. And I can't stop thinking about the, the money issue that you brought up. And I'm thinking about that cause I I've been to Burning Man a few times where there's no monetary exchange and you learn to accept gifts from people. And the first time I went, that was really difficult for me because I was like, wait, if you're going to give me something, I have to give you something back. And I felt tension and stress in my body. And I had to really just like sit with it and be like, no, this is okay. It is okay to exchange. Like we are on this planet to share with one another and help each other. And over time that's sort of like sunk in deeper and deeper. And so now I'm a little bit better when someone's like, I would just want to give this to you. My instinct is not, I have to get them back. My instinct is thank you. And that's all you have to say is thank you. Like just accept. You can gain so much by acceptance. I love that you brought up Burning Man. I went in one of the early years and there was absolutely zero exchange of money and everybody brought in what they thought they needed, but 
you know, once you get there, you realize you might need something else. And <laughs> that's the people will provide. Yeah, most <laughs> definitely. Cool. Yeah. yeah. It's a beautiful thing. We keep talking Community. about, we keep talking about the differences. I, I can hear what we're sort of doing. We're comparing Americans to <laughs> everywhere else in the world. Hard to avoid. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to ask you ladies about, um, you know, fitness. Americans differ so much from many other parts of the world because of our huge focus on personal fitness. It's an incredible cornerstone of biohacking that you ladies have so much experience in personally and professionally, um, you know, as coaches and trainers. And I just wanted to know, what do you think Americans have or need such a huge emphasis on fitness should we, you know, should we be looking at fitness differently overall in terms of biohacking and lifestyle? Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I would say I, what I see in a lot of clients is people use and abuse exercise as a way to make up for bad diet, too much stress, not happy in their lives. I see it a lot like I said, they're just making up for other things. Um, I heard a doctor say one time, exercise is what you do when you're healthy. And that just stuck with me. And I think a lot of Americans maybe are unhealthy because of the type of exercise they're doing, right? They are over-exercising. They're not doing the right thing for their body type. And I know, Lauren, I'll, you can definitely speak more to this being more in the fitness world. But I think just something as simple as sit less and move more, right? Like we're sitting for eight hours a day and then we're crushing it at the gym for an hour. Like there's got to be a better balance of just getting up and staying mobile, right? We shouldn't be sitting for more than 30 minutes at a time and, you know, doing things like your, the squat challenge that Lauren's doing on Instagram now. Um, most people probably can't even do things that are mobility exercises like that. Um, so I think, again, finding that balance and don't look at exercise as, well, I ate that ice cream Saturday, so now I have to go to the gym. Well, no, I feel great and I have this energy and I want to, eat, want to feel even better. That's why I'm going to go to the gym. Like that's how we should be approaching it. The gym shouldn't be the punishment time. Um, and maybe in America, because most people have really crappy diets, maybe that's why we see that. You know, we're not, we're not eating local, organic, nutrient-dense food, right? Obviously, the standard American diet, that sad word came about because the diets are so bad. So I think, yeah, just trying to find it as not a punishment, but as a, a gift to yourself that we can move and, and boost our energy that way. No, that's my thought. Lauren, what do you think? Yeah. I don't think Americans are motivated by balance, unfortunately, because we're so fixated on extremes. I don't, somehow that's just really deeply ingrained in our culture. And I don't know if that was just like the basis of freedom, like more is better. And we were taught very early on that having freedom means like moving, achieving, like Christine, you said very early on in the episode, like we're very linear in our activities and, and mindset. So it's always about moving forward. It's not about achieving balance. So we go to work out to be better. We go to win and I don't, I think maybe sports culture has a little bit to do with that. It's all about winning. Like no one cares about the loser. No one cares about like, you're only one point behind, like you win or you lose. And that has infiltrated every aspect of our lives. So, um, and then also we like, we, we hang on to the complexity, I think, because we don't want to do the real work, which is actually pretty simple. For some reason, we, we can't get past that. We don't want to do the work, so we distract ourselves with more complex things like going to trendy fitness classes, having loud music on, having lots of people around, having lights, like anything to distract us from actually tuning in and doing the work. We don't like that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think people would rather like drive or commute to a 60-minute workout class rather than just spending 15 minutes at home, like doing some mobility a few times a day or 15 minutes meditating. It's really simple, but somehow people find so much time to go to their hour long fitness class, but not to do all the other things that are just so simple and easy. I wanted to ask you ladies about intuitive eating, but now that you're talking about fitness 
the way that you are, maybe we can combine the two. So all of us are advocates of intuitive eating and we can talk a little bit more about what that means. Uh, To me, it's just as much neuroscience and neuroimmunology as it is, you know, just the way that people live in the blue zones, you know, like we've already discussed. Um, And I think, like you said about fitness, just we're complicating it. Uh, We don't like to live in balance (laughs) as Americans. (laughs) So maybe this just goes again back to mindset. I don't know if you want to bring fitness or keep fitness in in answering this or th- or you know discussing it from your perspective, but uh, I love that you ladies offer twenty one day resets, and you know I always am explaining to my clients and my patients why twenty one is a magic number. So from your perspective, why don't you talk about? why 21 days is a magic number. And I guess you could apply it to intuitive eating. You could apply it, um, apply it to fitness. Uh, yeah. Anything you want to share about those concepts or ideas? So I want Renee to talk about the 21 days specifically, but before we get to that, I'm just going to put mindset and biohacking together. Like I think it's really important to explore yourself and what your body needs and that can inform the intuitive eating, the intuitive exercise because there's not a one size all fits approach. We know that. And just like a simple example from genetic tests, I know that I have the makeup of a power athlete. Like I'm more predisposed to doing power sprints, intervals, um, rather than like endurance training or like long distance stuff. And I've known that intuitively my whole life. I've never liked long distance. I like working in short spurts. That just is what energizes me. I recover better. I get stronger that way. It's always felt good. And now I have the science to back that up. But the intuition is so powerful. So tapping into that mindset and tapping into the biohacking, which is just listening to your body and asking those questions rather than finding distractions and just doing like what your friend is doing, doing what's popular, doing what's trendy. We have to really tune in to our own bodies and our bodies are going to tell us what they want. And so the same thing with intuitive eating, you know, there's no one healthy food for everyone. We know that Renee and I know that from genetic testing, from testing our blood glucose, from testing our microbiome. Like we know we've heard this quote forever. One man's, uh, oh gosh, I'm completely losing One man's food is another man's poison. Oh yeah. That's a great quote. And your intuition can guide you in that. It's that simple. And then the 21 days, I I think, is a huge mindset thing. And I know Renee has some opinions on that. So I'll hand it over. Oh, gosh, I have so much to say. (laughs) There is so much to say. But what do you have to say, Renee? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. So to answer the 21-day question first, um, yeah, I mean, just in the nutrition world, I've kind of been trained to always do the 21 days because we see – better or greater success creating new habits in 21 days, but also that we can change our taste buds in 21 days. So I run a 21 day sugar detox and there's no sugar, like not even fruit for 21 days. And people were like, but fruit's good. You know, we can get into that whole argument, you know, but why 21 days? Is it no sugar? And we're resetting your taste buds for those 21 days. Cause then on day 22, when you have a strawberry oh my gosh, the sweetness is mind-blowing, right? So we're just kind of resetting that. And then at that point, I think it's easier to get into the intuitive eating because when we're overwhelming our body with salt, sugar, salt, sugar, we can't really taste anything different. Our body doesn't really know what it wants or needs. But when we get that 21-day reset, then we really can tune in and be like, I do have a sugar craving. If I eat an apple, does it fulfill that? Oh my gosh, it does now right? Instead of reaching for that pint of ice cream. So I think the 21 days, like I said, it's two things. It's the habit creation, but also the taste bud um, effects that we see. And as far as the intuitive eating, I love, Lauren, what you said about kind of using the data to confirm the intuitive eating. So I recently got a continuous glucose monitor. And I have to say, nothing has been too surprising. Like, you know, the things that have spiked it, it was like, well, of course, like you already knew that, but it's just really cool to see the data confirming that. So the next time I maybe want to eat that, I already know the number's going to be there. Um, so 
Yeah, I think combining that intuitive eating, I wish I could just gift it to everyone. I think it takes time, yeah. right? Yeah. If you could just get someone there tomorrow, it would be incredible. Um, I mean, it took me years to get to the point. Like I, I truly can feel inside when I need protein or fat or carbs or more vegetables. I can feel it like down to my bones. And a lot of new clients think I'm absolutely crazy when I say that. <laughs> but once you get to that point, it's, it's so freeing to not feel like you have to count your calories and your macros all day long, day in and out. Like that is so restricting when you're feeling like you got to track all that. Um, yeah. It takes a lot of work to get there. You have to be willing to do the work, but I agree. I've done the same thing. It's taken me over a decade to figure out what my body wants, but now like I don't need a nutrition plan. I don't need to count macros. I definitely don't need to count calories. Like forget about it. Yeah. (laughs) But I can't, I agree with you Renee. I wish I could just gift that to someone, but that's my work and we all have to do our own work to get there. And if you do, there's just so much freedom and opportunity. It's like such a wonderful, magical gift. I'm, yeah. I'm with you both. I would love to just gift it. I have seen people, you know, struggle over the years, obviously. And, uh, you know, I run genetics on all of my clients. It's why people come to me. And when I eventually started working with people at the belief level and then doing their genetics, the intuitive eating, you know, <laughs> it had, they assigned value to it differently, Right. Because um, I think, Lauren, something you said when you were looking in your genetics and you were able to pull out and discern uh, what type of fitness, you know, you were biologically meant for, right? Um, Sometimes people would hear different things about their genetics and they would go, oh, well, you know, I'm, I have tight Achilles according to my genetics. So that just takes me right out of the whole fitness realm. I can't do this. Sure. Yeah. 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 That could be detrimental. (laughs) Yeah. That can be detrimental. And so, you know, that actually, that was the moment where I said, oh wait, the beliefs, they, people need to sign up for the belief level first and then, you know, get (laughs) it. So I love, you know, Renee, what you said about in 21 days, you can change your taste buds you know, neuroimmunologically, something is taking place. It is so incredible, you know, so people have to be willing to do the work. They have to believe enough that that is possible. So for some people, they want the data, you know, having the glucose monitor at first, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But the intuitive eating piece and the freedom that's attached to that, oh my gosh. And so, you know, people see in 21 days, and then another 21 days and add 21 more days, the upgrades. And I'm sure you both see them all the time. They're so incredible for people. Yeah. So we started running our 21 day challenge and we actually found that it was pretty difficult for people. Like we stand by the 21 days. We really think that's where the change happens, but we have recently reduced that to a seven day challenge because it's overwhelming. So we've kind of uh, redirected our focus into just spending seven days to really educate and empower and give people the tools to then create their own habits. Because I don't know if this is an American thing or a human thing, but we don't really like to be told what to do sometimes. Like we have to figure (laughs) it out on our own. So now we're really spending the seven days just educating and we find that people have more success because they finish the seven days and they want to keep going. I love it. Rather than seeing the 21 days up front and and already feeling defeated, like, how could I possibly do that? And yes, there's so much that goes into it. And it's easier one-on-one, obviously, because we can get into the mindset stuff. We can get into the language and really have control. But when we're working with a wider group, we have found that just giving them the tools is a little bit more empowering. And then you have like these milestones. I can do seven days. I can do seven more days. And then suddenly I'm at 21 days on my own. I feel amazing. I feel powerful. I feel confident. And that yeah, is, and I think again, comes back to the belief stuff. Yeah. You have to believe and, it. And people feel better within seven days. Yes. Like that's, yeah, that's the big thing. You're like, I feel amazing. Why am I going to go back and eat the crap I was eating before? I feel amazing now. So that's the cool thing. And actually, you know, we can see changes in the gut microbiome within three days of changing our uh, diet. Love it. So cool. So within seven days, you know, it kind of gets into that habit stacking, 
right? You change a couple habits, you see the difference, you feel better, you add a couple more and you can keep going. They become a magnet for other habits. Yeah. Become a magnet for other habits. I think that's huge. And think about that. Seven days, a week blows by so fast. Oh, so fast. Yep. Yeah. So to go from feeling like junk to amazing in seven days, that's pretty incredible. Of course you want to keep going. <laughs> yeah. That's the goal. <laughs> Which, I, and that brings to the point, you know, right now we're obviously seeing this health crisis and we know metabolic health is super important right now with what's going on. And um, Rob Wolf actually had a really good perspective on this. He says, back in February, when we knew metabolic health was important, why didn't we make the changes then? Can you imagine if America started focusing on metabolic health in February? Here we are in July. We could have seen some amazing shifts, but the awareness well, isn't really quite there. complex, though, because we have to look at our planet and how we're. <laughs> I know it is sunshine and and you know just greenery, treating our environment with respect. So complex. I feel, yeah. I feel like we're a long ways away, but at least we're getting more. Uh, to the awareness stage, hopefully. Yeah, I think we're a bit out of denial, just a bit, but a bit out of denial and more into awareness. And now we're sorting out what that feels like, what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah, I agree what you said about metabolic health, but instead we were too busy buying up all the toilet paper on the planet. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. How is that ever going to be a thing? (laughs) I still don't understand. (laughs) All my friends with the days. Would just go, really? <laughs> oh, they were set up. They were set up for success. Yeah, definitely. Everyone else. Oh my gosh. Well, before you, yeah, before you ladies get going today, I wanted to know if you would bestow upon all of us um, what your favorite biohacking stacks are from free nature to even, you know, technology. You can just tell people what you're doing so it can inspire them. And then definitely let us know about your biohacker babes challenge because I know people are going to listen to this and they will be so pumped to jump in somewhere. And I think your challenges are a really cool way to get involved. Great. Yeah. Laura, well, thanks so much. You want me to- Am I up first? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't care. <laughs> Which Renee already knows exactly what I'm going to say. I always say the oh. same thing. <laughs> I am really obsessed with cold showers, but um, even before the cold showers, I like to sweat. And I think um, matching heat exposure with cold exposure, and then on the cellular level, we get the heat shock proteins and then the cold shock proteins, which we know we have these proteins in our body circulating all the time. But from a a brief exposure to a stressful event like heat or cold, it sort of like wakes up these proteins into action to help us modulate our immune system, to wake us up, to get blood flow. It sort of just like kicks everything into gear and it takes little to no time. So um, it's pretty easy for me. I've been doing it for so long. And uh, so now that's sort of just like part of my everyday life. I try to sweat every day and I try to take a cold shower. And then I have to add on, I, I'm really focused on breath work right now, which is not as ingrained. I'm really having to work on my 21 days towards building a new habit and get my breath work in every day. But I've seen some pretty amazing effects from just slowing down and trying to breathe more deeply. And I'm hoping at some point I won't even have to think about that. Hey, that's incredible. I mean, beginner's mind is all about developing growth mindset. So coming back to breath, oxygenating. I mean, hello, basic, so but simple, powerful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Available to all. Available to all. Yeah. <laughs> what about for you, Renee? For free biohack, um, just finding a way to get into nature. I, I always feel the best when I'm in the mountains, in the woods, maybe on the beach. I mean, I think everyone would agree with that, right? And I always remember this time, it was maybe like eight years ago, I had a trip planned to San Francisco and I was going to spend one day up in Muir Woods. And I told one of my patients, because she was from San Francisco originally, and she said, you are going to fall in love with Muir Woods and you're going to get pregnant that day. (laughs) I was like... Oh my gosh, what are you talking about? What a prophecy. (laughs) Yeah. And she, I guess her her point was just like, I guess the negative ions from the woods and it's so calming and healing. 
And, um, I mean, she didn't know I was, if I was like trying to get pregnant or anything, I guess I was at the age where I had just gotten married and whatever she thought that, but it was just so funny and it like stuck with me. So I just think, think, um, the healing power of nature. It's free. If you want to get pregnant, go to nature. Yeah. Hey, that's how I got, is that the lesson? (laughs) You did? I went to Hawaii and the joke is all the days before that day, I didn't think I wanted to have a baby. And then my husband and I were standing on the edge of a cliff, you know, with the waves coming and crashing up around us. And, you know, it was just this all universal intuitive knowing surrounded by all the negative ions. And we tried and I was immediately pregnant. Wow. wow. That's so incredible. That's amazing. I'm going to Hawaii in October. So oh. <laughs> well, there go. call me afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. So I that's, it. I would say that's my free, free biohack for everyone. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I guess it could be free as well. It's just focusing on sleep. Um, I think people focus too much on diet and exercise and all these other things, but sleep is number one. If you're not sleeping, nothing else is going to work. So whatever you need to do to biohack your sleep, if you want to get some fancy tech, the aura ring has just been incredible for me. I can really test, you know, what does CBD oil do to this? What is the temperature of my bedroom due to my REM sleep? You know, I can really correlate. So I think I was able to biohack my sleep faster with the aura ring. But certainly you don't need to spend any money. Just try different things and see um, if you feel better the next day. Do you sleep longer? Do you wake up feeling more refreshed? I think just, again, sleep is number one. You got to prioritize that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of our seven-day challenge. So for those that are interested, we do one every month. It's seven days. It's generally a Monday to Sunday. And we have these markers that you have to sort of check off. Uh, we try not to overwhelm, but it's just, it's really simple stuff. Like it's not brain science, like get eight hours of sleep, (laughs) drink X amount of water. You have to spend 10 to 15 minutes a day, uh, doing some sort of biohacking. We we give like a list of all free biohacks and we do a 20 minute workout every day just to get your blood flowing and to feel energized and strong and confident. We're not there to like break down our bodies or like get shredded in seven days. It's just to get mobility and to learn some good technique and some breath work. And then Renee sends out a nutrition video every day just to, to teach different um, ideas and perspectives and ways to biohack your own nutrition. So it's a lot of empowerment. And then you can take those tools and run with them. That's so generous and so super thoughtful. That's awesome. <laughs> it seems really simple. Like I always look back, I'm like, is this it? I'm like, yeah, that's it. Like that's all you need. <laughs> Yeah, But it's nice because we hold each other accountable, right? Like that's sort of the, the point of a challenge and we have an amazing community and we have seen amazing things in seven days. Like people surprise themselves at how good they can feel. We already talked about that seven days. You can, you feel different and then you want to stay in that space. And that's our hope for everyone is that you just want to make this a lifestyle. You want to make it instinctual. You want to live like you're in the blue zones, even if you're in an urban environment and it's yeah. possible. You ladies should um, have like, you know, people send you testimonial videos that have done your seven day challenges. It'd be interesting to see. We should. We've had written ones. We need to do the videos. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. I should. love to see the expression on, I mean, this is me. I'd love to see the expression on people's faces. And now we need to see people's faces more <laughs> than ever. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. That's You're so right. Idea. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I to see people <laughs> expressing emotion at the end of their seven days. But no, it would be cool. It just I think it's that multiplier effect for sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, joy on someone's face is undeniable. It's like you don't need words. You can just see it through their eyes. So that is really cool. How do you Very sign powerful. up for the challenge? You go to your website? Um, so it's actually thebiohackerbabes.com. That'll go right to the challenge page. And the next one is August 17th. Cool. Soon. I'm going to tell yeah. everyone on my Instagram. Amazing. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Yeah, I'm <laughs> going to New York, hopefully, over this summer. So when I land there, it'll be around there. Maybe I can um, get a couple of my friends to do it with me. Whatever oh, fun. Challenges. Yeah, yeah and I would Always love to nice see you time. if that's possible. Yeah, that would be awesome. 
Well, ladies, thank you so much. It's been such an awesome conversation. I feel like every little point we talked about, I could invite you both back on that many times just to talk about those subtopics. <laughs> thank <laughs> you. So many paths. Yeah. I really That's enjoyed awesome. this, Christine. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, so everybody at home, you can go to thebiohackerbabes.com and tell everybody uh, what the Instagram handle is. Uh, biohacker underscore babes. And then you can also follow me. I'm just Renee Bells, all one word on Instagram. And I'm Lauren underscore Sambatero. Cool. So we post individually and then we collectively post on the Biohacker Babe. So any of those you find us. Okay. Yeah, definitely reach out. Connect. Yeah, everybody listening, reach out for sure. I follow the ladies and I'm on both of their pages. And what I love the most is that they're always talking about their own experiences and just sharing their own journeys, which I think is what's so necessary for all of us to stay connected right now, for sure. Yes, absolutely. All right, ladies, I will talk to you again soon. Much love. You too. Thank you, you too. so much. Thanks, Christine.